Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. What we know is that Christ, that God baptizes you in Christ when you believe, and then you have to choose to let that indwelling spirit come upon you, which is being filled in the spirit. So being baptized in the name of Jesus is being born again, and that is choosing to make Jesus your Lord. And then you can say being baptized in the spirit, being filled with the spirit. You can place baptism in the spirit with being baptized in the name of Jesus, or you can place it in being filled with the spirit. But what we know is Jesus breathed on those early disciples, right, and gave them the spirit. And then just a, little, just a few days later, he says, now wait so that the Spirit will come upon you so that you will be filled with the Spirit and you will be endued with power. Did they have the Spirit when he breathed on them? Yes. So were they sitting there waiting for the Spirit to get in them? Or were they waiting for the Spirit to come upon them? See, God has always come out of heaven to rest upon people. And he still does that. It's just that heaven is in you now. Amen? The kingdom of heaven is within. That's where God lives. So it's up to you to allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit so that he comes upon you. And when he comes upon you, that's when all the gifts flow for you to minister in the power and communicate. You know, it comes in your mouth, your hands, whatever. Letting the Holy Spirit come upon you The world needs you to do that because otherwise you're left to your own intellect. You're left to your own understanding. You're left to your own man, you know, man's dominion rather than co-laboring with God. So being filled with the Spirit is not when the Spirit gets in you. It's when you let the Spirit come upon you. And, And there are so many, this is where the gifts, the fruits, and all of the stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to do through you That's what happens. All that stuff manifests when you allow yourself to be filled or under the influence of the Spirit. So it brings us up to the last point from last week, which was don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with Crown Royal, Boone's Farm, you know, some legal. I've heard that. Well, he said don't drink with wine, but it's not in the Bible to, you know, bourbon. (laughs) We can drink bourbon. again. But be filled with the Spirit. You know, just like you have to choose to partake of that alcohol and yield to its influence, you choose to yield to the influence of God who dwells within you. Amen? And the world around you needs you to let that happen. So how do you let that happen? How do you let yourself be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's kind of like asking, how do you let yourself be loved by your spouse? How do you love your children? How does your relationship grow with anyone? You know, what does that look like for you? What happens inside you so that you don't become hardened to the people around you, so that you don't become hardened to your your parents or your siblings or your spouse or your children? It's the same process. 
Being filled with the Spirit is a relational process. It's not when God says, boy, I tell you what, they've prayed and fasted enough. Here we go. I'm going to take control of their body, you know. A lot of people think that being filled with the Spirit, especially old school Pentecostals, it's like you got Terry. Terry on that Spirit and wait, and one day you, you know, you lose control. <laughs> That's why a lot of people question the gifts because they think God is going to make them do something. And we're going to get to the part where he says, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. So today, we're going to talk about a specific area of being filled with the Spirit and stirring up that gift, and we're talking about glossolalia. Maybe, maybe I should use a term that doesn't freak people out. You guys ever heard that glossolalia? That's a real technical term. Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Now, don't get nervous. We're not going to have an altar call where we force everybody to pray in tongues. You know, I believe it's a private thing for you to experience between your God. It can happen in a very public setting. I'm not against it happening in a public setting, but, you know, that's just not the way that we choose to do it. I want it to be real for you. If at the end of this message that you want to explore that, Donald and Cheryl are up here. They will walk you through that process, um, and it can be a real powerful thing for you. I'll just tell you, when I first started praying in tongues, I thought it was just silly. Anybody ever have that experience when you first started praying in tongues? It's like, this isn't real. And I'm telling you, uh, you're going to think that, and you're going to feel that if you choose to engage in this gift. You don't have to. That's okay. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're less spiritual than the person next to you. It doesn't mean that you don't have the Spirit. It just means you're not choosing to operate in that particular influence. So let's just kind of go through some scriptural reference, and then, and then we'll you know, talk about how you can experience this. Mark 16, 17. Everybody good so far? And these signs will accompany, accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Now, you see that colon after those who believe? That was put in in the discretion of the translators. I, I think that's actually in the wrong place. I think it should read, all these signs will, will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. And then there's more there, but we're just focusing on tongues today, right? Because what this does is it lends you to, it, like, if you do something and you just tack in Jesus' name on the end of it, like, it's magic and it's got to happen or something like that. No, this, if you, if you say, for those who believe in my name, it shifts the focus to the authority of Christ rather than something that you do with his name. You know, we're not pleading the blood. We're not applying the blood. We're not applying the name. The blood's done its work. What we're doing is we are communicating the gospel, and then he confirms with miracles, signs, and wonders following. Amen? So believing on his name is essentially believing on him as Lord. It's believing on his authority. It's believing on who he is. Amen? And when you do that, these things follow you. All right, 1 Corinthians 14. This is your homework. Go read 1 Corinthians 14 so that you get the full context. I'm only going to read a few select passages just to kind of get to the point of where we're going. For anyone who speaks in a tongue. So Jesus said, those who believe in me will speak in new tongues, okay? Red letters, Jesus said it. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, this is verse 2, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God, all right? So there's a few key things here to realize. You're not speaking to people, you're speaking to God. 
In this, you're going to see that tongues is not for to just jump up and pray in church and, you know, ramble in tongues. If that happens, someone should interpret it. Maybe you interpret it yourself. I've seen people that do that. You know, it's like it just, they pray in tongues and it stirs it up and then it, they get the English and then they go on. You know, I mean, it, I do that sometimes. So speaking in tongues does not speak to people, but to God. If you want to talk to God, this is one way to do it. Indeed, no one understands them. Pretty clear, right? Because there's, there's interesting understandings and explanations to explain away this gift. But right here, it's very clear. Nobody understands it. Here's what's happening. You're uttering mysteries by the Spirit. You want to utter mysteries? Nobody's raising their hand. So verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. So there's a couple of things here that you see. You're uttering mysteries, you're speaking to God, and you're edifying yourself. Edify to build up, to lift up. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Skip to verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word or instruction even in the case of lifeless things, like an instrument that makes sounds such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? So the main point that I'm picking out of these select passages in 1 Corinthians 14 is that we realize nobody understands it when you do it unless they get the interpretation of it, okay? So here we go. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, gotta love technology, my spirit prays. Say, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. Say that, my mind is unfruitful. Okay, this passage right here should be a great source of comfort to you if and when you try to operate in this capacity and in this gift because your mind will be unfruitful. You ain't going to get it. Your brain will reason it away because it's unfruitful because your spirit is praying. Do you believe the Bible? So when you try it, and if you try it, and if you've tried it for years past, but in your mind you're reasoning it away, you're doing a good job. I don't understand. Good. Your spirit's praying. It's like reading the law. People were telling me, I read the Old Testament. I just feel condemned. Well, good. That's what it's supposed to do. Good job. You took it seriously. You read the law and you felt condemned. That's what it was designed to do. Now realize Jesus fulfilled it for you and move on, you know. It's the same thing. If you're sitting there and you try this and you... And you you don't get it or you're questioning if it's real or not, that's because your carnal brain won't get it. Your spirit's praying. Okay? Verse 15, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, but in the church I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I mean, it's pretty clear, right? 
Some people build the case that this stuff isn't for today, but I disagree. I mean, why would he go through such detailed instruction to you know, people that weren't the original 12? So, now some of the mechanics of it, because some people doubt it because they feel like God, they're waiting for God to just take over their mouths. And you even hear people, like the, you guys watched that Andrew, Dr. Andrew Newberg study. It's an interesting study. He's got a couple of books, but there's also a, a short, like a news clip. You can find it on YouTube. Andrew Newberg. And what he does is he goes in and he, he's a neurosurgeon and he attaches the electrodes and everything to measure brain activity to see what's going on in the brain when people are praying in tongues. And some of those people in that video say, well, I lose control and God takes over. And I understand what they're saying, but that's actually contradictory to what Scripture says. In Acts 2, verse 4, I'll, I'll give you more on that study here in just a second. But Acts 2, verse 4 and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, they are the they that Jesus had just breathed on and given them the Spirit. So these were not people that didn't have the Spirit. These were people that had the Spirit. So being filled with the Holy Ghost was when he came upon them. And so they were filled and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who's doing the speaking? They, they are doing the speaking. Who gives the utterance? The Spirit gives the utterance. Now, it's important to know because if you're sitting there and you are doing it and you think that it's supposed to be God that takes over, you're going to question it. You're going to reason it away. You're going to rationalize it away, right? But they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this word utterance is the word Apothegomai. Ready? Everybody together. Apothegomai. There we go. And it basically just means pronunciation or the teaching of what to say. And it happens a lot of times where when you lead someone in speaking in tongues for the first time, they either mimic what you're saying or they hear some sounds on the inside and you just kind of make those sounds. It really doesn't matter what it sounds like. It really doesn't matter if it's the same sound over and over and over it's not like you have to, you know, tongues is not like all of a sudden getting a download and you can play piano. Like, it's not like a language that you inherit the capacity to do. You ever heard people that do that, like, just supernaturally, all of a sudden they can just play piano, you know? That's not really what's happening where you're getting a language per se. It's, so, it's more so you are just yielding your mouth and your tongue and it's the spirit that is praying through you regardless of what sounds are coming out. And the sounds are only important because life and death are in the power of your tongue. Whether it sounds like A or whether it sounds like B, life and death are in the power of your tongue. And the spirit is teaching you. So it's, it doesn't matter what it sounds like as much as you in your heart are engaged with God and you are using your man your human authority over this creation, and it's as if you, you know, the Spirit of God and His authority and your authority over creation come into agreement, and it happens through your mouth. It's almost as if nothing happens on this planet without the influence of mankind, or at least the co-laboring of mankind with God 
and it happens to happen, it comes through your mouth. So it's kind of like you and God deciding to pray together, and you just don't get to know what it is. So the word apothegomai for uh, utterance is pronunciation. God will teach you what to say. It's not something that all of a sudden you, you're getting it right or you're getting it wrong. The only right and wrong in tongues is, is your heart involved? You know, do you believe? Are you connected with God? Do you believe that his spirit is working with you? You know, what's the difference between praying in English and praying in tongues? Let me ask you this. When you pray in English, do you believe it makes a difference? All right, so this is also what that word means, utterance. To speak out, speak forth, pronounce. Now, this is, this is a clip out of uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, but it's interesting to me because it's not a typical word. It's, it's kind of, it's a more regal word, you could say. So, not a word of everyday speech, but one belonging to the dignified. Now, remember, the spirit is praying through you, or your spirit is praying, and it's a, to speak out, to speak forth, pronounce. So, it's uh, not involved in everyday speech of Greek, this word being used. In fact, it's the only time that this word is used in Greek or in the Bible. But one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse, properly, it has the force or the effect of to utter or declare oneself or give one's opinion and is used not only of prophets but also wise men and philosophers. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The, the, the word for glory... The original Greek word for glory is the Greek word doxa. And the very first definition of the word glory is view and opinion. It does have to do with majesty and splendor and all of this. But when God is glorified, it means that his view and opinion has come to pass. So the way that he sees it, his view, when that is manifested, that's glory. Does that make sense? In other words, when God gets his way, it's glorious. It's his will that none should perish, but some will. Those who don't, that is glorious because that's his will. That's what he wants. That's his view. When you see yourself like God sees you, man, that's glorious because that's his view, not your view, not a mixed view, his view. And this word, apothegomai, coming out of you, it's, it's, as, it's as if God is declaring himself, declaring who he is, pronouncing to the world around you, in you, through you, who he is. My pastor, Jim Richards, um, when he was in Bible school, one of his professors had an experience in Jerusalem. So this professor was down at the Wailing Wall and just, just really got into it and started praying in tongues. And he just noticed that people were kind of distancing themselves around him and walking away. And he got back on the bus for the tour. And, uh, you know, the guy said, why did you do that? And he said, what are you talking about? He didn't know what happened. He said, well, you were down there proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord God Almighty in Hebrew. Now, this isn't one of those... My mom, I had a friend whose second cousin with the, you know, this was a guy that he knew, told him that story. Now, 
I've heard that happen to other people. You know, I heard this preacher one time. He said he was uh, in Mexico worshiping up there on the stage, started praying in tongues, and then the people just were like weeping. He was declaring in their language the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit first began to operate through people like this, they all understood each other. All different, you know, several different languages there. They understood each other. Now, I'm not saying that when you pray in tongues that it's some language somewhere on the planet. It might be. You know, and that's an interesting question. Is the miracle in the speaking or in the hearing? You know? Interesting. So they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. The, your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. Okay? Now, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to look at some of the application of this gift. This, and, you know, the word gift in the Greek is the word charis. And the expression of a gift is charisma. The word grace is the word charis. So you could say it's not really gifts of the Spirit. It's graces of the, or capacities of the Spirit. It's not a commodity that's got a nice little bow on it that God gives you as a package. It's an expression an apple on an apple tree is a charisma. It's an expression. It's a fruition of what's in that apple tree. You expressing this grace that is within you, this influence, which is what grace means, a divine influence in your heart that brings capacity. It's, it's, an exp- it's a fruit that comes out of you. So it's like, you know, it's like you're, you're being influenced inwardly by the Spirit, and because mankind has dominion on this planet, you're co-laboring with God, and you don't know what you're manifesting and birthing into this earth. But it's going to be glorious. Amen? So I just want to look at this in, in uh, 2 Timothy. Now, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. I think this is after his, like, fourth missionary trip. And he'd been arrested for, again, this was under Nero, Caesar, who was not a good dude. And, you know, some of Paul's arrests were like house arrests. One of them was in this house, and, you know, he was kind of treated well. But he wrote this from a dungeon. You know, he wrote this in chains. This is a, this is a dark prison that he was in. And he was lonely. You know, you can do, it's very easy to learn these kinds of things. Like, there's so many great websites out these days. I encourage you in your Bible reading that you learn about the book that you're reading, and it gives you context of who he's speaking to and the frame of mind that they're in and what they're addressing. So he's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor over Ephesus, which is a, you know, we talked about Ephesus a few weeks ago. It's a pretty pagan city and a lot of immorality going on and And so he's writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor in this city. This is Paul. But I want to get to the heart of where he's going. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. Uh, You know, I, I encourage you to feel emotion, to feel the emotion of the word. See, when we read the Bible, we're like looking at it thinking, what am I supposed to do? Like, this is, this is obviously an instruction for me. I've got to do something when I read this. You know what I mean? Try to read it and feel the human element, the emotional element, the, the emotional context 
the relational context of what's happening. And then sometimes you'll better understand when, the, when you run across instruction, you see the human element of it. It's not just black and white instruction, right? It's not just a binary thing. There's, there's complexity here. So to Timothy, my dear son, now think about it. He's in prison. He's writing this letter, right? My dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He probably means that, you know? If if you're sitting isolated in chains, you're going to be self-reflective. You're going to be analyzing everything that you've been through. You know, sometimes we don't give ourselves enough time to process our life, process the things that we've been through. I could imagine he's sitting there chained up, doesn't know what is, you know, what's going to happen to him. He's evaluating and thinking, going through, and he, and he thinks of Timothy, you know, this young pastor. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, Thank God for praying grandmothers. Timothy's were powerful in his life as well. You grandmamas that are praying for those heathen kids out there running crazy, keep praying because Lois and Eunice were doing it and they're mentioned in the Bible. I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Now this is the point here. For this reason, in other words, this this connection that he has with him, this passion that rises up inside of Paul for Timothy, that he's been praying for, that he feels for, for this reason. Not some obligation, not some rule that you're supposed to do this, but because his desire is that Timothy, you know, experience God. So for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame or stir up the gift, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for the Spirit... God gave us. So who gave the Spirit? So the Spirit God gave us. Did Paul give him the Spirit through the laying on of hands? God gave him the Spirit. So what he's talking about there is the gift being laid on through his hands. It's this idea of impartation. Impartation is not when I have something and I lay hands on you and give you something that you did not previously have. But you could look at it as if it's almost like two guitars being next to each other. They're both their own sovereign independent guitars, but you pluck the tuning string on one of them and the other one is going to begin to resonate on that same frequency. That A note will also resonate on the guitar. That's what happens inside of you. When you lay hands on people or someone lays hands on you, there's that energy of the spirit, so to speak, that it awakens within you. It awakens inside of you. I don't have something that you don't if you have God within you. Amen? Now... Because I function and operate in something, I can lay hands on you and waken that thing up within you, but then you have to stir it up as well. And that's what he says here. He says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I wonder what Timothy may have been struggling with for Paul to pray this. It's like, look, remember, remember the gift that is within you. Stir it up. This is how tongues works. You have to stir yourself up within you. If you're just sitting, waiting for God to make something happen, you'll never do it. 
and it won't be real to you. And even when you try, it'll feel flat and weird, and you just won't do it. Romans 8, 26, this might be one of the most misunderstood couple of passages in the Bible. So let me just read it first. Romans 8, 26, 27, and 28. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. You ever need that? You ever weak? Well, the Spirit can help you. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever not know how to pray? Okay. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit himself intercedes or prays through you, through wordless groans. Theologians say that this is talking about tongues. And he who searches our hearts, so here's another capacity of what you do. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Stay on verse 27. So that's another thing. So your spirit prays, your mind is unfruitful, you're edified and built up, and then what's happening is I like to imagine this as going on when I'm praying in tongues uh, for wisdom, for transformation, for sanctification. I mean, I'm sanctified in my spirit, but sometimes my soul can get those footprints in it and I need to clean things out a little bit, you know? So, and he searches our hearts. He, he knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You could say that praying in the Spirit is God praying for you through you. Interesting, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that? God shows up, hey, can I pray for you? No. Now, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. To read the Bible accurately and properly, it has to be in context. In context, you cannot lift up this passage and apply it to your dog getting run over. I don't mean to laugh at that because we love our animals. I mean, you know. Don't laugh. You cannot take that and apply that to your spouse getting cancer. God works all things for good to those who love God. You know. And it's, it's, it's applied to you losing your job. It's applied to knucklehead presidents. Uh, I'm not saying any one thing or the other there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many of you have heard this passage, this idea? God works all things for good. And they stop. God works all things for good. I just got in a car wreck, and, you know, this drunk driver here ran into a teenager and killed the baby that was driving and riding in the back seat, but God works all things for good. No. You can't take something out of context. I'm going to tell you something here. God working through all things for the good of those who love him is contextually right after you have prayed in the Spirit. Someone can experience tragedy and loss, and it just be an attack of the enemy. Someone else could experience tragedy and loss that experiences, that loves God, 
And it's still a tragedy, but they yield to the Spirit. Because, see, we're not talking about necessarily praying in tongues as much as you co-laboring with God in your heart and you yielding to God, and then God is freed to work through that thing. Now, people will say, well, looky there, this tragedy happened, and now look at their life. They're doing amazing. Well, they probably loved God and trusted Him and walked through that process. God didn't make that happen so that He could teach them that lesson. I'm thankful they learned that lesson as a result of that. The Bible actually calls those who have to learn through circumstance foolish. The wise learn through instruction. Now, I'm not saying if you've experienced loss and tragedy, you're foolish, and that's why it happened. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is if it takes that for you to learn, you're foolish. A better way to learn is yield to God. And one of the ways that you can do that is stirring up this gift, and you pray in tongues. You pray in the Spirit as the Spirit gives you utterance, and you are co-laboring with God. And it's as if God is directly praying for you, through you, to affect that circumstance. Do you see that? I mean, you know, we don't talk about this a lot in here. A lot of people are out of traditional backgrounds, and, you know, some, some of you have been taught that that's just demonic. I mean, Jesus said you were going to do it. How in the world could it be demonic? I, you know, I don't understand that. So contextually, please don't apply tragedy. Please don't apply the idea that all things work together for good, to tragedy. That is only true for those who love God and have yielded to His Spirit to follow Him through that tragedy. He doesn't bring the tragedy for the reason to teach you. Amen? You know, it's like, well, there's a story probably every preacher on that believes that God is good has used it, but there's this kid, right? And he and his grandfather have this tradition of when they hear a fire truck, he lived near a fire station, the grandfather would load the child up, the boy up, and they'd ride, follow the fire truck, you know, small town, and they'd watch the fireman put the fire out. One day after they'd been doing this for a while, the little boy turns to the grandfather and he says, why do all these firemen keep setting these fires and then putting them out? You know, that's kind of what we think about God. It's like because a lot of people only find God after a tragedy strikes. They think that he did it. I tell you what, you got to get flat on your back to look up. Well, yeah, if you're a fool still love me, right? <laughs> Teaching you about tongues and calling you a fool all on the same Sunday. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Now, this is the last passage here. And this, this doesn't necessarily uh, like exegetically apply to tongues, but the concept does. This is Jesus, Matthew 5, 15, 8. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. So I think this is what happens a lot when we are in, you know, when we're trying to experience this gift. Even those of us who do utilize this gift, you know, our heart a lot of times is not involved because it's, it, it, you can't say that it's a formula. You can't say that if I pray in tongues, everything's going to work out, although that seems to be the promise there in Romans 8. But the issue is, is your heart involved? Are you connected to God? 
When you do it, do you feel better? Do you feel more encouraged? Do you, are you left with God's promises being more real to you than the circumstance? Are you left with an expectation of hope that I'm lifted up? In this situation, it makes no sense for me to feel joy right now, but I've done this, and my goodness, I'm just full of gratitude and thankfulness toward God right now after having done this. That's what it should do. If you pray in tongues and you're confused, you're doing it wrong. If you pray in tongues and you feel lifted up and you feel better and more full of hope, that's edification. That's exhortation and comfort being lifted up. Now, it's up to you. There's not, there's not anything that you lack if you don't do it. There's not any, you don't become a better Christian. You don't become more spiritual. It's just like you just become more open and you're co-laboring with him to try that and, and, and step into it. The way that I started doing it was by myself, you know. I, the only time I had ever seen it was I was with my buddy and we were all hung over one morning and we crashed at a grandmother's house because I was about as far as we could drive that night. And we, I wake up in the morning and I hear this, this, his grandmother pr praying in tongues in the kitchen and I'm like, this first time I'd ever heard it, the first time I'd ever even heard of it, you know, I'm, what, 16, 17 maybe? I'd never even heard of it before. And I go, and I'm looking around the corner, and I'm watching her, you know. And, man, she is just going for it. Tears rolling down her face, you know. And I'm like, man, dude, what's your grandmother doing? Is she all right in there? Huh? Well, she was. They had come to find out. That's right. <laughs> she was no dummy. And so he said, oh, yeah, she just does that, you know. So out of that, and, and, and I wasn't, you know, churched, indoctrinated with all of that stuff. But out of that, because she looked out of control, I adopted the belief that people that do that lose control. So then when we started going to this church um, up in Dunwoody, Pastor David Michael, we went over to his church one, or his house one day after church, and he sat down and he told me about it. He said, what do you think about praying in tongues? I've been saved for like two minutes, you know. I'm like, well, I don't think you can control it. He's like, oh, okay, you know, gently sat down and walked me through Scripture, you know. And, it's, and, and, and so the, you might have some beliefs that aren't biblical about this gift. That's why I want you to go read 1 Corinthians 14. Open up yourself. If you do it, do it more because you need to be doing it. This church needs you to do that. I guarantee you God will be praying for this church through you if you call this your church home. Your life, your family, your circumstances that house you need to sell, that car that you need to buy for your daughter and you want to make sure you get the right one. You know, it's as you're priming the pump to let God work in your life. It's not that he won't any other way. It's just opening that channel even more to co-labor and work with him. Do you see that? So if you don't do that and it's something that you desire to do, Donald and Cheryl will be down here. Um, They've gone through training. They've, they went through Andrew Womack's training that he does at his, you know. You go to his conferences, man, it's cool. There's like 50 people get saved, and then there's 45 people praying in tongues, you know. all the same. It's awesome. I love, I love seeing that. But in this context, you know, I, I, want, I want it to be personal and private for you. I want it not private per se, but just personal. I want it to mean something for you. I don't want you to just walk up here and feel like you're just going to do it, and then you never do it again or whatever. But... Remember, your mind will be unfruitful. If you question it, welcome to the club. Everybody questions it. 
But do you believe that God told you the truth that your spirit can pray? Your spirit hears God. Your spirit knows God. Your spirit is one with God. Your spirit will perfectly reflect what God would lead it to. And, and I'm telling you, you start doing it and you just watch, you know. People, people will tell me, well, I don't know, you know, what? how do you always just show up at this, sir? How do you just, you just call at the right time? Are you just, it's by praying tongues. And then I just kind of just do something. It's like, oh, well, I didn't mean to follow God, but I did, you know. I think we follow God more accidentally than we ever do on purpose. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I prefer that because I'd rather it just be a natural choice that feels like my choice and it's just I'm just yielding to God rather than saying, God, what am I supposed to do? And then you wonder and you just go ahead and make a decision anyway. But you can pray in tongues. It prepares your heart. It, it, it prepares the world around you. You know, the, the, all of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. One of the ways that you manifest your sonship is operating on this planet as a child of God. You know, there's all kind of research and studies. You ever read, I'm jumping around now, but you ever read that book or heard of that book, The Secret Life of Plants? There's a guy, scientist, and they were doing research on biology at, or different plants and stuff. And so for some reason, he hooked up a, a lie detector to the, a desk plant that he had in his office. And he was doing these different kinds of things and uh, different tests to see just how they would respond. He wasn't trying to, you know, interrogate the plant or anything like that, but just trying to, you know, they were just doing their experiments. And the story goes that there was a fly that landed on the desk near the plant, and he went to kill the fly, and the plant freaked out. It reacted. Like, the plant changed the frequency that it was putting out. And so then they started doing these tests on speaking to plants versus putting them, you know, playing different kinds of music to them. And all. I mean, it's all, all scientifically documented, interesting stuff, right? They would uh, speak to them and nurture them and be kind to them, and those would, those would flourish and do better. There's a, there's a study on water. You play like Slayer. You guys know what Slayer. Like death metal. Death metal to water, and you freeze it, and then you look at the frozen crystals, and it's all disorganized. But if they, like, just humans singing over it, like, nice music, and then you freeze that water, and then look at the crystals, it, like, makes these beautiful structures. You know, mankind has dominion over this planet. Our words affect the world around us. You don't believe me? Go home and tell your wife she doesn't look very good in those pants. <laughs> Better yet, go home and tell her, wow, you look amazing, and see what happens. Now, that might just be emotional, but, I, but that's just a simple example. The world around us responds to us. The point being, the world around you can respond to God praying through you. God co-laboring with us. Us co-laboring with God in prayer to affect the world around us. And then, and then that's where the Spirit just does what Spirit does, you know? If you try to reason and rationalize beyond that, you might get some understanding, but just let it sit. Just trust that, you know, I'll give one last illustration here. It's as if the world is waiting for instructions. 
right? Like your life is sitting there. Your circumstances are sitting there going, what are we going to do? And then you pray and God prays through you. It hears you and it responds. Your life around you is waiting for instructions from God. Use this gift to affect it. Use this gift to program your world around you. Amen? It's powerful. It's really powerful. I want to hear some testimonies next week. Those of you that do and don't, you know, do it more. And let's just see. Just see what happens. Just experiment. I don't mean you got to get up in the morning and pray for an hour in tongues and you're all spiritual now and you feel good about yourself, righteous self, because you did that, you know. Now, if you do that, that's fine, do that. There are some circles that it's like that's the height of being spiritual is you've set aside an hour in the morning. Well, that's fine. Works better in the afternoon for me. I like to get up and get going, <laughs> yeah. But use it, amen? Well, all right. Usually I'd wrap it up for some type of practical application for yourself, but I, you know, I want you to experience this for yourself. Donald and Cheryl will be up here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit. We don't want to limit you. We want to experience everything that you want to be through us. We want to experience every gift and every capacity and fully follow you, yielded to you, so that you would be glorified. We trust you. We take you at your word. We are willing to apply what your word says. Amen. Well, let me take a minute and just pray for the nation as well. Father, we thank you for this freedom that we have. You know, what it would have been like to be a fly on the wall back then when those guys were crafting this constitution, uh, applying the principles of freedom that only Jehovah values. Father, we thank you for the, the, sovereignty, of the sovereignty of this nation, the gift of this nation. But, Father, we, think we, we take our authority as believers in the midst of this nation to influence it and bring it back to you. You know, it's not about borders. It's not about the country. It's about the people on this planet, Father. And we, in this nation, have the best opportunity to display freedom to the world and start to open up their minds and their hearts of what freedom really looks like within God. So, Father, I thank you for all the leaders that are in power. I thank you for all the positions, all the government faculties and facilities, all the cultural, all the economic stuff. Father, we thank you that we just that we as believers can rise above that and not get sucked into the division. Thank you, Lord. God, that we know that you are bigger than all of that, that all of that stuff is just temporary. And show us how to show us how to look at it. Show us how to not be drawn into it and define ourselves on one side or the other or even believe in a two-party spirit, really. God, show us how to walk as your citizens, valuing this nation, representing you, 